Hey guys, welcome to Queer Icons, where we cover and discuss an important figure to the LGBT plus community and give our thoughts on why they resonate with us in the queer community. Hey Nico, how are you doing this week? I'm fantastic. How are you doing, Matthew? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. So I have been listening this morning while I was getting ready for this podcast to the 10th anniversary edition of Born This Way, the Gaga album. Right. Well, they only made like three songs, but yeah. No, they're dropping Oh, they're dropping more? Oh, yeah! Yes. (laughs) They haven't announced who the artists are. Okay. It's going to be You and I is one of them. Yeah. And uh, that's all I really cared about because that was my favorite song from that album. (laughs) I'm excited to see... Who they're going to choose, because so far, they have pretty, like, iconic people in the game. I mean, you know, like, Kylie always does, like, a strong, like, thing. But my favorite, actually, so far, of the three that were released, is the Orville Peck version. Right, and I'm not... Because, like, he just does it so well. Like, that voice, and he just changes just the right amount of stuff to, like, Mm -hmm. make it kind of new. Like, yeah. Yeah, so essentially, he covered Born This Way, the title Mm -hmm. song. And turn it into a country version. But I think it's more of a crooner version ish. Right. Um, like pure country. <laughs> yes, which I absolutely love. And then uh, Big Frida did Judas, yes. which was a lot of fun. Uh, that can really get you yeah. up and going in the morning. Big Frida always does a good banger. She really does. <laughs> and I was reading that, you know, she related to the song because who hasn't been in a relationship with someone that hasn't screwed them over essentially right. something like that and i was like oh yeah we can definitely all relate to that i just basically love that pretty much whoever is releasing songs from this mm-hmm. reimagine yeah the this way album are people we're gonna eventually cover probably yes. <laughs> and of course i'll be very excited for kylie because she is my dancing queen yeah. well it's already out the yes. Kylie one, yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, I think it's the most recent one. Uh, she didn't marry the night. Yes. Which you know works for her voice a lot. Right. And her, you know, her latest album was very disco influenced, so right. it kind of, it, it works very very well. So I'm Definitely. excited about that. And then I've also been watching the second season of Love's Victor, which. Don't do any spoilers. I'm not going to. We have not started spoiler. watching it yet, but I. Um, that show. I just finished the second episode okay. and. You know, I really, I don't agree with everything that Victor does in the oh, show, right. even the of first course. season. Yeah. Like, you know. I don't think you're supposed to, though. I mean, that's, that's what yeah. causes the drama, right? True, true. <laughs> but I am really loving the new perspective and, you know, being all of his surroundings and his friends and I don't want to spoil for anyone who has not seen it. Like me. You haven't seen the, the first season? Either? No, I saw the first season. Uh, I've okay, okay. the second season. Yeah, but I mean, anyway, long story short, I wish these, this show existed when I was a teenager. Because mm-hmm. uh, even though I usually don't tend to like romantic stuff. Yeah. But I was like, oh, yeah, this is why visibility and representation is important. <laughs> Because I could really relate with some aspects of the show. Yeah. For sure. Right. And also I do like that it's filmed here in Atlanta. Of course. Yeah. I do like <laughs> that representation a lot. <laughs> they they uh, mentioned at some point about like going to Lake Lanier. That's not a spoiler, by the way. <laughs> and I was like, yes, Lake Lanier. <laughs> Which is apparently on TikTok. 
it's been trending that it's like a ghost lake thing and it's cursed. Oh, that's a whole different thing. And I, was, because, I mean, yeah. it's all fake. They, I mean, they evacuated the whole area before they flooded because it's a man-made lake. It is a man-made so, lake. So, so it is like a flooded region. Of, yeah, but they're saying like yes. dead bodies are in it, and uh-huh. I was like, I don't. I mean, have a lot of people way. have died in it, but yes. Yes, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Maybe well, maybe I'll cursed. go to a different lake. Mm-hmm. No, 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 I, mean, I like it. I, I've I've enjoyed Lake Lanier when I've gone. You just have to be cautious. The last time I was there, I got severely sunburned, mm-hmm. which is something that I don't really get. Right. So I'm like, the curse is real. Right. A couple years ago, we rented a boat <laughs> on like to go on Lake Lanier one time. So we'll probably do that again like next year. We're not mm-hmm. doing it this year because wedding. Yeah, because wedding. That's, that's, that's every that's reason it. ever right there. <laughs> yes. We're not doing it this year because wedding and yeah. corona. Yeah. So what, what have you been up to? Okay, so I have not had, like, you know, a crazy week. But I did take my niece to go see Cruella. Oh, I have yet to see that. And I do like the movie. There's oh. a lot of great one-liners in it. It's a very, it's kind of like a Disney version of Devil Wears Prada. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's funny. That was the first comment that I saw yeah. in the movie. Like, someone said, yeah, it's yeah. just like Devil Wears Prada. I mean, it's not just like, a, you know, it's, you mm-hmm. see very similar themes of sorts. However, like, once again, <laughs> Disney has disappointed with the gay character. It, I mean, he's I a gay character. I did not he's, know there was he's, supposed to be one. Yeah, well, we talked about it, like, last week or two weeks ago. I can't remember which episode it was. That was for Cruella? Yeah, that was about Cruella, because it's supposed to have the first out gay character, which maybe he is, but they don't expressly say it once again. Like, he's a flamboyant character, mm. and, like, you know, there's a lot of the stuff. Story, or is he just, like, Yeah, I mean, like, he's, he's in it. He's not, like, no, he's not a major plot oh. movement person, but he has... You know, I guess a decent amount of speaking lines mm-hmm. or whatever. But so was he just reduced to a comic relief caricature? No, 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 no like, he wasn't. Like he's definitely flamboyant, and like I could definitely see like it's assumed he's gay, but once again, just not expressly stated and not extremely important to the plot. So all right, I just okay. Like you could have taken one of the other characters and made them more. I uh, I mean yeah. But, I get it. I mean, I will still see the okay. movie because... Uh, well, I mean, it's still a good movie. The two female leads. Right. Both so, Emmas both together. Both Emmas are amazing. <laughs> yes. And they're very good. So, like, definitely, I mean, it's worth checking out. And like I said, there's a lot of good one-liners. It's an entertaining movie. Movie. It's not, like, you know, terrible in any way. It's just... All right. That, that so. one aspect of, like, oh, you made such a big fuss about this being your first out gay character, but you still didn't do it. Like... Like, yeah. if you're going to have a character, then just have Not it. during Pride have Month, it. honey. Right. <laughs> Go all out. But again, like, these these companies are scared to go too far because they also have to release these movies in countries that are not as... Yeah, true. And they're, they're ready, like... Welcoming. And I'm like, well... Gay content yeah. is edited out in more conservative mm-hmm. countries, for sure. So I'm just like, well, like, so you're not really comfortable doing it. You're just, you're trying to, yeah. anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but <laughs> let's move on from it. The other thing is, is like, I've been loving pool weather. I always enjoy a good pool and mm-hmm. my sister just moved to a house with a pool. So we've been 
we went over there and enjoyed that. So that's always fun. So this week, what has been going on? What is queer as fuck? What has you feeling queer as fuck? So I actually, I want to talk about forced coming outs in celebrity culture. Right, okay. I was reading recently an article with Ricky Martin, who is 49 now. And that mm-hmm. makes me feel ancient myself. <laughs> <laughs> he was pressured in a 2000 interview with Barbara Walters to come out. And I had no recollection of that interview, actually. Uh, I mean, he got asked, actually, I think so. I mean, more than just by Barbara Walters. I, I do remember the rumors circulating. Right. And, you know, as a little closeted case right. i was like oh yes i think it is true right well i mean he also, no way the way he answered the question was like i well, don't I'm want about to... to i'm about to cover that oh okay because so, <laughs> i always appreciate he did he claim that he felt violated and mm-hmm. the line of questioning it formed like a sort of ptsd for him so walters wanted to confirm the gossip about his sexuality i do remember the gossip very very well right and in her point of view, wanted to offer him an opportunity to stop these rumors by coming out on her show. So it was apparent that she was doing it for the news and getting the big scoop of right. the revelation. And he was visibly uncomfortable and he declined to answer. So she goes like, you can say, yes, I am gay or no, I'm not. And he responded, Barbara, for some reason, I just don't feel like it. So he was obviously not ready to come out and was afraid. And it was that fear that Walters and so many other journalists and interviewers neglect in in favor of higher numbers. Mm-hmm. He, of course, did come out on his own terms in 2010. Was it that late? Mm-hmm. I thought he came out earlier than that. So for those years, because he got asked several times, that yeah. may have been one of the earliest mm-hmm. um, and most, I guess, notable or visible yeah. times. Also, it is it, it's but... a, such a direct question right. when... Yeah, but he eventually came to the line of, like, he, he skirted the question and said, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to alienate any of my fans. I welcome everyone to, like, listen to me, basically, yeah. was the response. You, you and I always appreciate to, Yeah, it. you have to turn in diplomatic right. in whatever way. And another example of it was, and it's probably my, my favorite way of handling this situation. Mm-hmm. So it was during the promotion of the film uh, Birdcage in 96, where Robin Williams and Nathan Lane were being interviewed by Oprah. And they had agreed before not to address Lane's sexuality. But during the interview, Oprah ignored the arrangement and taking the opportunity of Lane potentially being typecast as a homosexual because he does play a homosexual and a drag queen in that movie. Right. So she asked him, like, would he just be typecasting these roles, making the audience guessing about his sexuality or not? And Lane is visibly uncomfortable and at a loss of words. And thankfully, Robin Williams, being a true ally, <laughs> buys him some time to prepare an answer by distracting Oprah and the audience, intervening with some of his signature antics. And then Oprah entertains Williams for a bit, but then directly goes back to Lane and goes, So? And Lane explained that he's a character actor, so he doesn't have an image to uphold. So even she asked him later, like, if he even got in touch with his female side 
To which she responded, yes. And she said, why are you doing this? So the two actors really diverted the rest of the conversation from the subject using humor, which was the best way possible and to their, you know, intelligence and credit because it is very difficult to divert the sort of questioning that's so delicate. And and looking back at the situations, especially with high profile, respected journalists, really adds a cringe factor with how invasive and inappropriate this line of questioning is because... You know, people can claim that they're allies, but then look at this sort of line of questioning right. that they've done in the past. So, well, hopefully they have grown since then. I'm hoping as uh, well, and would not be would not do that. Now, I, like as a journalist, you have to be willing to ask uncomfortable questions. Yes, so, but not when like, it's sometimes, like yeah. You know, there's a different but, there. There is a different way of allowing space right. for. Allowing an opportunity right. for someone to come and out then pressuring to, and then rather then than going back to it, going back to right. it. And it, and especially when it's such yeah. a private thing, they were there to promote a movie. They were not there for Lane yes. to just coming out. Right. <laughs> you know, like you can pressure someone about difficult aspects of this movie creation right. rather than... You know exactly. No, I mean I do. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yes. Um, I remember around the time Ricky Martin came out, there was Perez Hilton was pressuring oh, everyone, oh, and like he, I mean, it's such a negative a way. People, I think I don't know if he um, was directly successful in outing anybody. Like if anybody truly came out as a result of his antics, but he definitely put some very negative antics. I mean, like, I'm glad this moment Didn't he try to out Neil Patrick Harris? Do I remember that? I don't remember. I mean, he he had several people, so it would not surprise me if that was the case. Like, that is, I don't know, that is a very famous gay person not being a true ally. (laughs) Right. And gay himself, so he should have had more understanding and appreciation. And I mean, like, I kind of get it if you're, like, he was probably of the viewpoint of the more people that are out, the easier it's all going to be or whatever, the better it will be. But that doesn't mean you go, uh, like... No, you you don't go about trying to pressure Because, like, coming out is always your own timeline and your own, you know, your own experience. Yeah, exactly. So, for me this week, I want to talk about music. And I have been loving that I have found some artists that are new to me, but have been around a while. And I'm going to mention like a few artists and not all of them are queer, but they're definitely doing music kind of in their own way. And it's speaking to me. I'm going to end with um, a truly gay slash queer song that I guess would probably will probably be the pinnacle of the queers fuck this week. But I have to mention Lauren Mavula. I think that's how you pronounce it. I think so. This, yes. Yeah. She's incredible. Yes. Oh my God. Her music has been giving me life lately. Every time she's been releasing a new song this year, I fall in love again. And I just can't wait for her to release the album. The music is definitely like 80s, early 90s themed and inspired. And her videos embrace that aesthetic while also making it like more modern. And I know other artists have been playing with the 80s music, like Miley and Dua Lipa, but Laura Mavula is doing it slightly differently. 
and it's not quite as geared to the like pop audience that like Duo and Miley are. Yes. So yeah, I, I mean, she definitely has more like R and B influences in there. Yeah. Uh, now I remember her song "Ready or Not." I, like that was so yeah, so good. Uh, and I'm just like I'm a little disappointed that it's taken me this long to find her. But I also just like I, <laughs> I, I enjoy finding an artist that is new to me. And so like, oh, yeah, even yeah, if they absolutely. have a backlog of library, because that <laughs> even makes it even, more fun. Absolutely, you get to experience it all. Going going back to it, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when people find an artist that I've known for a while, I'm always like almost jealous of them because I'm like, oh, you get to experience all this stuff yeah. for the first time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So excited for and you. And then do you spam recommendations? <laughs> I do. So another artist I have recently become aware of is Allison Russell. She is a black folk artist who, like, that's um, and female. And the folk music mm-hmm. industry does not have a lot of people of color um, in that. What you were so. you blame me. Mm-hmm some of her songs right before we left for Pensacola, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's her. Yeah, yeah, that's her. And her music, just like, it's very folky, and it has almost kind of a witchy sound to it. Mm -hmm. And you know I love a good, dark, melancholic song. (laughs) (laughs) And she just has provided it so well in this album. You can tell the album is, like, very personal in nature. She really just... um, dug in and put like all of her soul into it and then from that album my favorite song is high brazil h-y-b-r-a-s-i-l high brazil it's just like i just love it anyway so look her up and then lastly i wanted to mention this guy who released a song just a week or so ago his name is jake wesley rogers guys he released this song called momentary and it is sad and beautiful and i think it will speak to like just all queer people living the experience that we've had the last few years and then he also adds in historical references he has a very like early elton john aesthetic to his look if you watch like his other videos as well as this one and the video for this song is just like so beautiful you definitely need to go watch it I just pulled um, it up. I'm gonna watch yes, it. Yes, I have it on the list to show you, but I was like, I want to talk about it, so I'm just gonna let him watch it on his own. But yes, I keep a, a playlist of like videos I want to show you, and that's one of them. Yes. No, and I remember your reaction. It was around your years when you played. No, it was, it was Laura. Z. It was for, it was with Laura Mavula. No, no, no. Oh, I thought it was. It was it was the video where this girl sits in a bus. Yes. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and you were so excited to show me. Yeah. And I wasn't. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen it. I wasn't really that impressed. <laughs> and I just crushed I you. You were so... Did, I was so sad. And then, but then it was only like a couple months later when I found Laura, Laura Mavula and I played you her. And you were like, oh, I love Laura Mavula. And I was like, no. <laughs> you aren't supposed to know about her yet. <laughs> was, next time I'll just pretend everything just is pretend. new and excited you know? right <laughs> and then I'll start spamming your recommendation <laughs> so that is Queer as Fuck this week guys <laughs> and if you are enjoying what we are talking about and how we cover these queer icons and would like to help us out please give us a rating and leave a review we always enjoy feedback and don't forget to subscribe and keep on listening to us 
you can email us at queericonspodcast at gmail.com and you can please send us any questions or comments. The email address is also in the listener notes, so um, you can look it up. But that is queericonspodcast at gmail.com. So this week we are covering, and I'm going to butcher this, her name, but Stormy Delarbury. Stormy Delarbury. Sorry. And she was also a person that was present at the Stonewall riots. We believe Nico will cover that a little bit later. But so this week I wanted to take a moment and cover something in your life, a moment of riot, riotousness in your life or a moment of rebellion. Uh-huh. Let's just go with our theme. Yes. I usually I would think of myself as mostly a conformist. I would not. Think but, of that way, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I'm easy going with the flow. And then while thinking about an answer to this, you brought to my attention that I have not really been living a heteronormative <laughs> life, <laughs> which I guess is pretty rebellious in itself. I tend to do a lot of activities that are not very usual. And the first thing that really came into mind are going to Burns. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's... I mean, there's a large community that it, does that, but that's not, like, the norm. It's or, not like, the norm. Know, so, yeah. so that's, I guess, pretty out of the ordinary and... It is rebellious in the fact that while you are at a burn, you live your life under a very different set of rules than the rest of society outside. Yeah, you know, the whole thing really, I think that the, the bravest thing that I did earlier on in my life was when I was a teenager, when I was about 14, 15, I decided to move to the States in another continent. Because I realized that Greece was too conservative and I wouldn't be accepted for my sexuality. It was very meticulously planned and it was a smooth transition overall. But I do recall how excited I was to get on that plane to start a new life where I would not be restricted by traditional norms and conservative notions of uh, Greek culture. It was like terrifying and exhilarating sad that I was leaving like my family and friends but also so ready for a clean slate and you know even even though it did take me until my early 20s to fully come out and fully accept who I am and everything but that is called trauma coming from a conservative culture <laughs> right I think that's normal to take until you're in your 20s to kind of fully come out. I mean, I know kids, yeah. young kids these days, I mean, some of them probably have an easier experience mm-hmm. and so are probably already fully out by the time they're finished with high school. But yes. I think, especially in our age range, mm-hmm. 20 to 25 is completely normal to be fully coming out. Yeah, no, officially mine was like 23. Right. So... But I've definitely made up for it doing a lot of queer activities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, I, you know, and also I, I do remember speaking about like something like very rebellious and it wasn't. It, it, it wasn't a riot, but like it was the first time that I marched and it was in support of the trans community here in Atlanta. And I had two of my trans friends marching with me and it felt very empowering being able to 
show solidarity with and again that is definitely one of the most marginalized communities in the world so it it really did feel unfortunately going against the norm when it should not be that way right you know so i guess yeah i mean now that we're talking more about it, I'm thinking more of rebellious right, things. Like, oh. And you were you were complaining earlier, like how can you not think of rebellious things that you've done? And I was like, I'm a conformist. I don't do anything out of the rules. <laughs> but uh, what about you? Um, so I have a few moments. I think that so like you, I I wasn't rebellious as in like a troublemaker or someone that got in trouble a lot. Yeah. Um. But I have some moments that definitely were kind of major changes. So for me, I was, I'll call it picked on because I don't ever feel like I was physically bullied or maybe it wasn't as extreme as some other people have experienced. But I was picked on all through grade school. So even when I was in elementary school and middle school and high school about being gay, but I wasn't out. And so, like, just being defensive about it. And that caused me to be, to shut inside myself instead of, you know, coming out because Mm -hmm. I felt like, oh, the more I do, the more people will know and everything. Well, I didn't even know myself until, yes, like, late in middle school is when I started figuring it out. But I got picked on because I was different the entire time. Mm -hmm. Um, But my senior year in high school, I had, like, had enough. I knew I was gay, number one, at that point. But then, number two, I just had had enough of people picking on me about it. And so, while I did not, like, come out, I also just had this fuck you attitude. And I may have talked about this on the podcast before, I can't remember. Mm. But I definitely just changed my attitude to, like, fuck you. So, someone would, would, like, say something, like, call me gay, and I'd be like, dude, you've been saying this for, like, ten years. Like, what else do you have? Right. What what else do you have? Like, are we done? Bye. Get out of my face. (laughs) Kind of another uh, moment was... This was actually very soon after after my senior year in high school. I came out to uh, my mother after being at a gay bar. So in Virginia, you just have to be 18 to enter the bars. You get a little, little stamp on your hand or something. I can't remember saying that you're under 21. Um, so, but I basically she called me home. And because I had just been at this gay bar, I was feeling my oats. And... <laughs> And so I did come out to her and it was, uh, it felt rebellious at the time. And it's, you know, it's just part of that whole thing. And then I would say just like living the queer life of I've been, I've refused to like settle for a life with someone that was wrong for me. Mm-hmm. When society tells us that basically we're supposed to get married in our late twenties. Yeah. And we're supposed to have our life together and all that kind of stuff. So just like living that. And then lastly, you mentioned Burns, and that's one of the new experiences I've had in recent years. Mm -hmm. I have been more proactive in my 30s about going and finding new experiences, and it doesn't feel like that's what everybody does. And, like, I I feel like I kind of got to a point in my 30s where I, in my early 30s, where I was like, this is, like, this is all the same life. Like I've been living, you know, like I've been doing it for too long, I guess Mm -hmm. at that point. And so new experiences like visiting gay campgrounds and going to Burns Mm -hmm. and attending like 
searching out communities that yeah. were not of like the normal twink gay community <laughs> that like you're supposed to be in or whatever. Yeah, I think it's actually really funny you brought this up because one of the first things that your fiance told me about you and he was very excited about is that you were willing to accompany him to whatever he was doing and you you were just down for it which is something that he and i bonded when we first met right because we were both in search of like a partner in crime right to just like <laughs> go do the thing <laughs> do, go do and, whatever the thing is yes yeah, like go right. explore go, right. go do things out of the ordinary and we were kind of in the same boat like for very different reasons <laughs> but yeah and then when she was like telling me this about you i was like oh, okay you know? like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a big plus <laughs> gets it. no that's definitely one of the things that drew me to him too was like just like one of the first moments that I kind of like knew like, Oh, I want to like hang out with this guy more mm-hmm. was a moment that I realized that like realized that he also was in this like similar mindset of just going and finding kind of like adventure. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, yes. We are covering stormy Delarbury mm-hmm. and Nico's going to give us some background. Yes. <laughs> um, so stormy Delarbury was born in New Orleans on December 24th, 1920. And died on May 24th, uh, 2014, and broke some of her, like, interview footage. She was biracial, her father was white, and her mother was African-American, who worked as a servant for his family. She was never given a birth certificate because interracial marriage was against the law at the time, so she was uncertain of her actual birthday, and she decided to celebrate it on Christmas Eve. While growing up, she was often bullied, attacked, and beaten by her peers for being biracial. And apparently one incident left her with a leg brace, another resulted in a scar from being left hanging on a fence. Oh my god! Uh, yes. Her father ultimately sent her away to private school for her own safety. As a teenager, she rode a jumping horse side saddle with the Ringling Brothers Circus until she was injured in a fall. She had begun performing as a singer by her late late teens, first as a woman and later dressed as a man. For a while, she actually sang in a jazz group and performed in Europe. She realized she was a lesbian near the age of 18 and decided to move to Chicago as she feared for her life staying in the South. There, she's claimed to have worked as a bodyguard for mobsters, which probably served an inspiration for her drag persona that was very masculine, but also probably explained why she was frequently armed. Delarvery became a groundbreaking drag performer and her publicity photographs show a sort of dandyish approach to zoot suits and a black tie, which I guess it is very mobstery like. Right. From 1955 to 1969, Delarvery toured to Black Theater Circuit um, as the only drag king of the Jewel Box Review, North America's first racially integrated drag review. The review regularly played the Apollo Theater in Harlem, as well as to mixed race audiences, something that was still rare during the era of racial segregation in the United States. During shows, the audience members would try to guess who the girl the one girl in the show was, 
among the review performers. And at the end, Stormy would reveal herself as a woman during a musical number called A Surprise with a Song, often wearing tailored suits and sometimes a mustache that made her unidentifiable to audience members. So essentially it was a lineup of drag queens right. and she served as the MC. So people were trying to figure out who the real girl was from uh, the okay. lineup of the drag queens, but right. then the MC would reveal herself <laughs> or himself okay. to right. be herself. Right. And and that was like the the mind fuck, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, as a singer, she drew inspiration from Dinah Washington and Billie Holiday, both of whom she knew in person since she had become so celebrated that she was circulating in highly respected crowds. You know, dressing in traditionally masculine attire, she may have inspired other lesbians of the era in New York to do the same. She was definitely more of like a trailblazer. Right. In June 1969, the historic Stonewall uprising happened. There's still some debate about whether Stormy was a cross-dressing lesbian who threw the first punch that initiated the event, as there's so much mystery and conflicting reports about who started fighting back. Right. Her presence there turned her into an icon in queer community and queer history. She was part of the moment when the LGBT community stopped accepting abuse and, you know, really claimed you know, a right to exist. She was a member of the Stonewall Veterans Association, holding the officers of Chief of Security, Ambassador, and in 98 to 2000, Vice President. She was also a regular at the Gay Pride Parades. Stormy felt the Stonewall riots were more of an act of disobedience and rebellion rather than an actual riot. Nonetheless, these events did give greater momentum to the gay rights movement in the States, and Delarvery is today revered for her presence there and contributions to the community. Sadly, shortly after Stonewall, Delarvery's partner of 25 years, Diana, who was a dancer, passed away, and Stormy abandoned the entertainment industry almost entirely. She became a bodyguard for the wealthy during the day and a bouncer at a lesbian bar or multiple bars in the West Village at night. She actually disliked the term bouncer and preferred (laughs) being seen as a babysitter for her people, all the boys and girls, as she described it. She was also known at the time for roaming the West Village, almost like a vigilante, like since she had no tolerance for what she called ugly, and that her definition of ugly meant rudeness, bullying, or behavior that was otherwise intolerant of her baby girls at the bar she was protecting. So due to her patrolling the streets, she became known as the guardian of lesbians in the village. Towards the, I guess, end of her life, Delarvery lived for several years at the Chelsea Hotel and really thrived surrounded by the community of writers, musicians, artists, and actors that lived there. And she would continue to sing at charity events and fundraisers around New York, specifically for victims of violence and domestic abuse. When asked about why she chose to do this work, her answer was, somebody has to care. People say, why do you still do that? 
I said, it's very simple. If people didn't care about me when I was growing up with my mother being black, raised in the South, I wouldn't be here. So Stormy continued working as a bouncer until the age of 85. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> that was, she suffered from dementia, unfortunately, towards the end of her life. So from 2010 to 2014, she lived in a nursing home in Brooklyn. She died in her sleep, suffering a heart attack at the age of 93. So quite a life. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, it, it was funny, like, how we figure out uh, Stormy was when we were compiling a list of people to cover for the podcast. We did not know her name. No. And some... I had heard the myth about her, but, like, yeah, it never I... involves her name as much. Yes, so... that's the thing. Like, I was aware of, like, the, the butch lesbian that, right. you know, did the first punch right and stonewall but i did not know that it was her or like she was identified and i guess this is why we do this right <laughs> so uh a couple things about stormy's legacy so diane arbus is a very famous photographer and in 1961 she did photograph uh stormy and the title is miss stormy delarvery the lady who appears to be a gentleman it's a beautiful photograph, and mm. it's of historical significance of the time. Right. So look it up. In 91, Michelle uh, Parkinson did a documentary film called Stormy, the Lady of the Jewel Box. Yeah. In 2012, Brooklyn Pride Inc. honored Stormy at the Brooklyn Society for Ethical Culture. In 2014, she was honored by the Brooklyn Community Pride Center for her fearlessness and bravery. And lastly, in 2019, celebrating the 50 years of the Stonewall riots, Delarvery was one of the inaugural 50 American pioneers, trailblazers, and heroes inducted on the National LGBTQ Wall of Honor within the Stonewall National Museum and the Stonewall Inn. So we do see that, you know, history has not neglected her, has not forgotten her. No. And we should really be talking more and more about her. Right. And really, she's included in the category that we really do owe well, love- so much to people of color that did not really conform, like, gender-wise. Right. So after, I'm going to mention this children's book, and which probably means... It already exists about her, but there is a children's book about Harvey Milk, like basically about, mm-hmm. you know, what he did in the community. And I feel like she needs one, especially being like a vigilante the way she was, yes. like protecting the girls. Like, I think it would be a great like mm-hmm. little book. But anyway, like I said, well, it probably already exists and I just need to go out and find it. But <laughs> I don't know how it would translate to like being a vigilante at the bars. Maybe not yeah, but children, teenage? No, or... no, no. I think it could still be a kid's book. I mean, like, Harvey Milk, it was the same thing. They had to edit it for certain, because, okay. like, especially with the way Harvey Milk died and stuff like that. Right. But there's a way to, like, make there's it a way. There's okay. a way to make it kid-friendly. <laughs> but even just, like, you know, like a graphic novel or something like that would be good, too. That would be awesome. But anyway, so favorite things that I learned about her was definitely that she worked in the circus, 
That's a lot of fun. And the whole vigilante aspect of um, her life, of, of seeing herself as this community protector of, um, les- it sounds like lesbians in particular, but like probably the whole gay community. Mm-hmm. And of course, I just love everything about people's like self-expression. So going with a masculine look in the 60s was very brave. Yes. And I just love when people that ex- even now that express their gender fluid- fluidity and their clothing and, and their walk and movements and just pushing boundaries. Given the moment she is known for, it's not really like surprising that she was confident enough to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's still just it's one of my favorite things. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about her re- reading about her life is that she always sought to provide protection. Right. For others, could have been motivated by her challenging youth. I right. can only like assume that. And especially I found out this quote, she said, I'm a human being that survived. I helped other other people survive. Right. And, you know, that really did strike a chord because, you know, I always try to create a very safe environment around me, wherever I am, for my fellow queer people, right. especially younger ones, especially trans people that definitely tend to be more vulnerable in society. And I think she really, she resonates so much with the queer community as one of the very first and most assertive members of the gay rights movement. She's definitely a representative of the butch lesbian. Right. I think is kind of lacking from media representation no like we we need definitely more representation of (laughs) every aspect (laughs) come to think about it but yeah she should have had like this androgynous look and and what she said like she sort of like kind of abolishes gender stereotypes of how one should present themselves like Mm -hmm. through self-expression and that's very commendable respectable and and so brave for the time definitely yeah, so, and seeing that she did get to become famous and respected in her life for doing for doing this. Right. Know, and being able to be herself and, you know, described as like a gay superhero walking down the streets of right. New York. <laughs> I, I did read that. That does, you know, she, she sort of was like a gay superhero. Right. Like, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe a graphic novel would be a good idea. Right. <laughs> a good medium. Get on it, Nico. We can sell it. Oh. But yeah. So that was a very informative person to look up and, and research on. Right. Since I had no idea. She was always this myth. I know in Stonewall. And I always love when we cover lesbians because I truly am learning like new things. Because <laughs> yes. I feel like I have, I personally have not paid enough attention to like <laughs> the lesbian side of our history. <laughs> so yeah, we see, we need more, um, a mixture in, yeah. in, in, in our culture. Right. <laughs> yes. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you everyone for listening to another very special pride episode today. We hope you learned a lot and got inspired by the life of this truly queer icon.